Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. What do you have to wash that awful taste out of my mouth? Mountain Dew or crab juice? Ugh. Oh, sheets! I'll take a crab juice. Michael Preston. Crab juice, Jägermeister, wort. Friend Emma Waitman would want to have uh, whatever it takes to watch out uh, the taste of that football game, or at least the ending of it. Uh, afterwards, I'm happy to do. I am Michael Preston, as usual, here on another edition of the Kook Center Hour, I, our tenth season. I cannot believe uh, I can say that that it's our tenth year doing this. And I say hour like mostly it's anybody else. I mean, my wife occasionally will stop by for ask Sammy anything. We are going to bring that back later this season. I promise. Uh, when things are a little less hectic professionally and personally in our lives as well. Uh, Nick Kranz from Right for California, uh, here to preview the Golden Bears ahead of homecoming weekend in Pullman, which is always a raucous good time. Uh, We will end with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. Lighter show uh, this week as I have started a new job. Uh, My new day job uh, is taking up a lot of time because I'm pretty much going back to school um, for the next three or so months. It's very fulfilling. It's great so far. It's just a lot to absorb. So, uh, yeah, please forgive me for the shorter show this week, uh, but I think you will still enjoy it quite a bit uh, as we aim to please here. Um, Oregon in that game had eight point two three yards per play and if you're not familiar with that stat it's one we like to use a lot here to kind of measure like how effective were you defensively at limiting you know the other team to I mean just yards on a given play right I mean there's gonna be less there's gonna be more but anything over eight is not great if that's what you're allowing. Like, for instance, Wazoo allowed just over 5. I think it was over 5.1 to Wisconsin. Now, that sounds, again, like a lot. But if you're averaging just over 5 yards per play, that's really, really good. That means teams are having a really hard... They're staying, they're behind the sticks a lot. And I know, you know if it's 5 yards per play, then they just pick up a first down on a second down. That's not, not exactly how it works. So, 8.23 yards per play is pretty not good. Um, and I, I haven't done the math because, again, I haven't had time this week. Um, but I think if you took out a lot of those plays inside the 10 in the first half for Oregon, uh, that number would get a lot worse. Because that's where most of Washington State's negative plays, tackles for a loss, came from in this game. Uh, it was just the case, as you can hear one of our producers voice her objection to that uh, defensive game plan in the second half. Um, it was just the case that I, I kind of felt... You know, in that second half, and I, I guess I was at the time accused of being fatalist by the folks I was watching the game with. Of, I don't feel good at all about this lead. I don't feel good about Oregon only having 15 points through three quarters because I'm kind of like, where is the other shoe dropping from here? And I don't mean that in a, you know, are they gonna blanket? You know, that word we hate using. Uh, are they gonna do that? Whatever it is, it just it when you see a number like that, and you see Oregon get explosive play after explosive play after explosive play, it doesn't wash that 
they're down 12 points. And sure enough, the law of averages figured things out quite violently in the fourth quarter. Now, granted, seven of those points were a defensive touchdown, but still, Oregon, they, they, they figured it out in the final frame. And those yards per play came back, and it was like, oh, hey, look, there's where that yards per play number is. <laughs> like, there's where it is. Um, It felt like another game where, you know, you needed to have a lot of things go your way. Francisco Maui Goa's uh, 95-yard interception return was certainly one of them. Um, I do think that was 96 yards. I, I want to dispute that with the official scorekeeper. I think that was 96 yards, not 95 yards. Give the guy an extra yard. Um, I just... It, it 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 felt kind of like it felt kind of like that was coming, and again, I and I don't mean that in a fatalist way. I just mean that in a if you had been watching that game and you saw how Oregon was moving the ball everywhere except inside the ten, you don't bend and then don't break for sixty minutes. Eventually, a team full of athletes like that is going to start putting it in the end zone. Eventually they're going to figure it out and they're going to start scoring points seven at a time instead of three at a time. And they did. And it, it and you give credit to Oregon for a really good offensive game plan. Again, they have the personnel to do this of making Wazoo's really good linebackers cover a lot of space. And we were talking about this on our Slack channel. I know we referenced that. We referenced it too much, frankly. Um, but Stephen Ayers had a great point of like, when you are getting packed down, all of a sudden you have a really great defensive back behind you in the back line of the end zone. That that's, it's a 60 yard wide defensive back. Right. And so that's what allows Washington state to play a little bit more freely inside the tent because they don't need to worry about it as much. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it, there was one way in which it couldn't have come, and that was with that late three and out being basically anything other than a three and out. There was more time on the clock left than when they took the ball against Wisconsin earlier this year. Um, but doing literally anything other than going three and out, and I th- they threw one pass in that series, so the clock stopping as well, um, would have been preferable. And I, I think we talked about this after Wisconsin, but it, it kind of qualified here is that if you're going to win a football game like that where you get up like that, you, you cannot make mistakes like this. Washington State is not a team that recruits athletes regularly that can make mistakes like this and win football games against teams clearly as good as Oregon is. Because I think we can probably toss out that game against Georgia when considering how good the Oregon Ducks are right now. They're a pretty darn good football team. Now, that's to also to say that Washington State's a pretty darn good football team. Because if I had come to you before the year and said, 3-1 and one right now, take it or leave it. Every single one of you, to a man, to a woman, to a child, to a dog, to a cow, would have said, take it. Because that meant you either beat Wisconsin or you either beat Oregon. And I don't want to hear, no, I wouldn't have said, no, you absolutely would have said that. You absolutely would have said, I know, I if you had come to me and said three and one through four, I would have been like, sold. 
Give me that. I will absolutely take that through four games because for me, preseason, the best case scenario was two and two. That was what I thought was the best case. And Jeff and Craig talked on their show this week about how hard Washington State's schedule is this year with having to play USC and Utah, not getting Colorado, and you have to go away to SC and you get Utah on a Thursday night at home. None of that helps you. They actually have a really hard schedule. So being 3-1 and one now is a real benefit when it comes to being bowl eligible later this year because you're, the back half of your schedule is a little softer with Stanford and and the Arizona schools. It's And, and you get UW at home, right? So it's, it's a little better. But you, you can't make mistakes like, like a three and out in that situation. You can't make coverage mistakes. I'm poor Sam Lockett had a really rough day. You cannot make mistakes like that against a team like Oregon because eventually they're going to punish you for it. And I think Wazoo kind of held out as long as they can or as long as they could. And they just really never managed to get that final kill shot in in the fourth quarter if you had gone up by three touchdowns in that quarter the game is effectively over because Oregon did score three touchdowns at the end there but one was a pick six so you get up by that much if you can just kill the game off that's the ball game you get one more defensive stop and you score one more time that's it ball game's over but they never got that kill shot I think and I, I I found it very weird. I got I got over that more quickly than I expected to. I was you know, it, it just it just felt like Wazoo went toe to toe with a really good team, and that really good team's offense finally caught up with itself in the final quarter, and there was not really anything Wazoo could do about it. I mean, Bo Nix wasn't sacked at all, but he hasn't been sacked at all this year at all, period. Like Georgia didn't even sack him. And Part of the way you hide a deficiency of the secondary not having a good day is by getting pressure on the quarterback. And if you can't do that, then you're really going to be exposed on the back end. And again, that's not that's not to put fault on anybody. It's just if, if A doesn't happen, then B, right? If, if Ron Stone, Brennan Jackson, if Dan Henley when he's blitzing, if Travion Brown, who had a great game as well, by the way, um, if they can't get home, then it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for the secondary. Um, Cameron Ward looked better, much better, I think, in that game. He made a lot of really nifty plays, showed you his speed, showed you his ability to break tackles, showed you his improvisational skills, that little flip pass to Nakia Watson. Please don't ever do that again. <laughs> like, that's one of those, that's one of those, no, 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 yes. Yes, and then you get back to the sideline. Great play. Never do it again. Ever. Not once, please. Please don't ever do that again. It gave me a small heart attack. Um, so I think Cam Ward's progression in that game was great to see as well. You really wanted to see that, especially after, you know, kind of languishing in three games. I mean, he still made some mistakes, but, um, you know, I still think there's a game speed adjustment. You saw how creative uh, Eric Morris's play calling can be with that fake pop pass and then that end zone or that touchdown Robert Farrell scored 
Um, you know, with the whole team flowing one way and then handing it f- to Pharrell going the other, with I think the receiver and I think it was still the left tackle, um, with Kingston still blocking out there. And that's that's kind of that, you know, what so many fans complained about for so long with Mike Leach's air raid was how just like bland not bland, but like there was nothing creative about it. It wasn't it was just the same stuff every week. Now granted it works for Mike Leach because if you can't stop it, and it's been the same thing for twenty years with him. You can't stop it, then I'm going to keep throwing it at you. Eric Morris works so many creative calls into his playbook that I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes as long as Washington State is able to hold on to him. And it, it really makes for an interesting offensive game plan when you can see all of that and you can... I mean, it, it's, it's just really interesting. Um, We'll talk about that one last thing. We need to talk about the officiating. I, uh, why, and this is not just us. I want to be clear. This is not just us. This is not just Oregon fans. This is not just Beaver fans. This is Husky fans. Whoever. This is everybody. This has been a problem in this conference for I don't even know how long. But you don't correct skipping a down by just going back and giving the team another play from back behind where they could have or should have been. If Cam Ward did commit intentional grounding on first down, you go back to second down and you start from there. You don't start from, well, they ran a play on third down and picked up a yard So why don't we just do that again? Because you cannot look at that situation. And I know, like... (laughs) Referees ostensibly need to know the sport of football. And are you going to look me in the eye, if you're an official, and tell me, oh yeah, two straight third and 16s when you you thought the first time you were going to have to punt, and the second time... You thought you were probably going to have to punt. You'd call the same way as a second and 16. And again, I, I I truly don't think it had any effect on the outcome of the game. We're going to forget the interception that wasn't. Where I like, look, or or the clock running, not running when after that review where Knicks didn't get in and it should have been running and they didn't allow it to run. I don't I don't think it had any impact on the outcome. Because Washington State could have gone down and you know, not three and out, and the defense could have done, like, literally anything, like, to stop Oregon in the fourth quarter, okay? But you can't look at me and tell me that helps the credibility of the conference. You can't look at me and tell me that this is a good thing that should be going on week to week, because you don't get to get away with it just by saying, oh, well, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Okay, what if it had? What if Washington State could go literally go back and point to something directly affecting the outcome of the game? And I don't know how this problem gets fixed. I mean, we've talked for a long time about making officials full-time and whatever else, but that's just not something the conference can probably afford. So what do you do? I, and I, and I, I, it, It's like so many problems in the world. I don't have the answer. I just know I don't like it and I'm mad about it. So that's why I'm here talking to you about it and why you are listening to me talk about it. 
That cannot happen. Not only can missing an entire down not happen, but correcting it incorrectly can't happen. You have to go back to second and 16 on that. You can't just say two straight third downs where you thought you were going to have to punt anyway. You... Oh my God. Okay, enough of that. California Golden Bears are in town uh, for homecoming. I feel like every year when I was in school, they were here for homecoming. I know they were definitely my freshman year. Um, and this is I, this is affectionately the, the cow bull bleep. Something always bad, a 57-yard incorrectly assessed penalty, a 19-yard field goal that gets missed with two straight kickoff returns for touchdowns, uh, smoke in a game where you're ranked number eight, you lose 37-3. to three. I mean, like some some incomprehensible crap must happen in a game against the California Golden Bears if you're Washington State if you're the Washington State Cougars like that 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 is just the case it is written in the football stars that that something weird may happen Chase Garbers is not the quarterback what feels like the first time in about 32,000 years for Cal um and they put a pretty good whoop in on Arizona and Berkeley last week. Now it's you get into conference play and it's kind of hard one week in to see what a team is, but I think Cal's a team that struggled with UC Davis initially, did beat them. They really struggled to beat UNLV, which actually might be a better team this year. I think Marcus Arroyo, I mean, depending on how things go, he might have actually done an okay job down there and a pretty impossible job somehow in Vegas. Um and they did put a hurt in on Arizona and then nearly beat a Notre Dame team that I truly have no idea how good or bad they are. Washington State's favored in this game and this fe- this kind of does feel like if you want to get to a bowl game, this really feels like one you got to have if you're Washington State. Because Lord knows beating SC in LA is going to be difficult. You've had Oregon State's number for almost a decade, but it feels like that's coming to a violent end maybe soon. You got Utah after a bye, but it's on a Thursday night, and you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to win a lot of your last four games. So this feels really critical if you want to continue that run in the postseason. So let's find out more about the Cal Golden Bears after we take a quick break. Nick Kranz from Right for California. That's formerly our sister site, California Golden Blogs, and we won't go into why they had to go away. That's a whole other bag of hammers that had nothing to do with them. Uh, but Nick's here to give his great insights on Cal when we come back. We're back here on the Coog Center Hour. And as always, when it's the Cal Bull Bleep Week, because uh, Nick Grant's from Right for California, it always feels like, uh, I know for Wazoo fans, it's just like, there's just like the football gods. And I don't know if it's this way with you guys for us or any other school, but it's just like the football gods like sprinkle on a little bit of chaos onto every football game like that we play Cal. And it's just like, there's only one way to explain it, and it's bull bleep, and that's what it is, and that's what I've started explaining it as. Well, uh, we fully understand one week after uh, finally uh, paying back Arizona for for years of torture, because that's that's our <laughs> bogey team. Yes. Good. Okay, let's get started here. I, I want to start with... Um, with Justin Wilcox himself, actually, he's he's been at Cal for a very long time now. I think this is you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is sixth season, um, yep. including twenty including the 2020 COVID year. 
Um, he did get an extension earlier, uh, much earlier this year, in fact, in January. Just kind of overall thoughts from you, from the fans, on the deservedness of that extension, how it's structured. Is it good, bad, neutral? What do we think about it? So I, I, I think we need to draw a line between like the off-the-field stuff and the on-the-field stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. the thing about Justin Wilcox is that Everybody loves him off the field. Mm-hmm. He he runs a clean program. He uh, says all the right things. He causes no controversy. He's personable. He understands Berkeley. He doesn't complain about how messed up our administration is or the fact <laughs> that the city of Berkeley really you know doesn't want football teams playing football. Um, he does everything right off the field in a way that engenders a lot of uh, positive feelings. And then you switch to the on the field stuff where he's the most averagest coach that you could possibly imagine. Uh-huh. Every, every single year he's five and seven or seven and five. He's almost exactly 500 at Cal. He always has a good defense. He always has a bad offense. You know exactly what you're going to expect game to game year to year. And so there's a sort of a ennui of having that year after year where people are starting to say, like, are, are, are we ever going to, like, win eight games in a season? That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> um, but without any, like, necessarily hope that that's likely to happen anytime soon. And so people are starting to sort of whisper under their breath, like, Hey, is, is being a really good guy off the field like enough or are we going to start demanding wins? And, and I don't know if that's ever actually going to happen because Cal is sort of complacent as an entity mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to sports. But it, it's, it's something that the fans talk about. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of been my you know, view on it as well. It's like a guy who's like, yeah, you know, if you don't if you don't ever want to have a truly awful season, then it's great. But if you don't if you want to have like a truly great one, maybe not the right guy but apparently Cal's AD thought differently uh overall outlook I think you kind of went over it a little bit there Nick but like kind of the overall outlook on this team for 2022 was again because this is what Justin Wilcox is known for he's a defensive head coach is he is known for good defenses and offenses that kind of make you grind your teeth at night was that kind of again the overall I mean we brought in a transfer quarterback I want to talk about here in a minute but was that again kind of the overall outlook on this team coming into this season for the most part um, the, the, the expectation is good defense, bad offense. And I would say that so far we don't have enough evidence to say that, that we've broken from that pattern yet, mm-hmm. though there are some, some tiny hints that, that maybe things will be a little bit different this year. Um, uh, the Notre Dame game was sort of the classic Wilcox game where Cal loses 24 to 17 and you're like, my God, how did either of these teams score that many points? It felt like it should have finished 13 to 10. Yeah. Um, so like Cal very much still has that kind of game in them and there will probably be others like it the rest of the year. Um, you brought in a transfer quarterback because J- Chase Garbers finally ran out of a del- ran out of his eligibility, and I was I was thrilled to find that out. So that was good um, because he seemed to be at least a thorn in the side of Wazoo every once in a while. And, and speaking on those low-scoring games, I think that was that 2018 edition that was like 19-13, and I have no idea how anybody scored even that many points. Um, yeah. What's kind of the overall thought on him this season? Because he is, this is a, you know, I, I think there's like seven Pac-12 teams with a new quarterback, including Wazoo. Wazoo's quarterback was in Berkeley last weekend, in fact, the former quarterback. So 
a lot of moving parts this year. What What's the overall diagnosis on him? Uh, we're now a third of the way through the year. Yeah, uh, he came in with the reputation as a better passer than Garbers, at least in terms of like arm strength, variety of throws, accuracy, but uh, certainly less mobile, less able to create things with his legs. And so the fear, mm-hmm. what, the hope was that his better arm would result in more consistent offense. The fear was that he'd just be sacked a lot. Um, playing behind a really questionable offensive line. And um, I would say through four games, he has proven more mobile than anybody anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, believe it or not, he was sacked six times against Notre Dame, but it, it, it could have been tw- double that. Uh, he actually did <laughs> an incredibly good yeah. job avoiding uh, various large men. Um, Arizona was really the first game where Cal gave him decent protection game all game long and he took advantage and threw the ball pretty well down the field in a way that like Cal probably wouldn't have gotten for Chase Garbers Mm -hmm. so uh, there's a little bit of hope that Cal maybe can take advantage of his strengths and minimize his weaknesses Um, but I think the pass rush um ability of whoever Cal is playing is like a critical factor in figuring out how any game is going to go. Well, I want to talk about that in a minute as well. We kind of dovetailing nicely into, into follow-up questions here, but what, what worked in that for you? I mean, you kind of mentioned it, that he was able to find some, you know, he, he had protection and Jade Knott ran absolutely just ran back and forth down that field against Arizona for an explosion of points. Is that what really worked in that game? And, and what allowed Ott to kind of find that space against Arizona. I think he's had a pretty decent season so far, but to blow up, I think it was for like 274 yards on the ground is not all that. I mean, that's insane. Um, so yeah. what, what helped him do that? So a number of factors. Part of it is that like, Ott won the starter's job finally. Like mm-hmm. he came into the year as a true freshman as second or third string and wasn't getting as many touches. Um, and, as the first few games went by, it just it became immediately clear that like we're, we're four games into his Cal career, and he is clearly the best skill position player that Justin Wilcox has had by a, a wide, wide margin. This has not been an era full of great skill position guys, right. and he was just clearly the best player on the field in most of those games. And so against Arizona, well, against Notre Dame, he got a lot of touches, but it was against maybe the best defense Cal will play this year and the line mm-hmm. got destroyed and there wasn't really much space for him to do anything. Arizona's front was, you know, on the weaker end amongst PAC 12 defenses. He had the space and he put on one of the greatest single game rushing performances in Cal history. I think it was like the most yards ever for a true freshman in conference history. Um, he's, I, I, he's the, the whole package. He, he's he got great speed, balance, vision, versatility. He blows mm-hmm. through arm and leg tackles. He hits the second level super fast. Um, he's he's the best player Cal has seen as a freshman since Keenan Allen. That's that's very high and frightening praise uh, for a team playing you. Let me put that in that. That's very, very scary to hear as good a skilled player as Keenan Allen. You mentioned earlier the offensive line having some issues, and one of WSU's strengths is getting to the quarterback, and we saw last weekend against Oregon 
Um, it's really important for Wazoo to get to the quarterback because their secondary without Jordan Lee and, you know, with, with some injuries back there is a bit suspect. So is that, did the offensive line kind of figure it out against Arizona or kind of to your put earlier is maybe it was just a, you know, maybe it was a, a, a unit in Arizona's defense that like, hey, maybe that's not as good as we're going to see the rest of the year. Yeah, so Cal completely reshuffled their interior line. They brought in a true freshman at left guard, moved their left guard to center and their center to right guard. And so everybody's sort of trying to figure out, like, did did the line reshuffle fix things? Is it just a factor of Arizona being crummy along their front? Uh, what's the deal exactly? Because the Notre Dame game was one of the worst offensive line performances in, like, my memory watching a Cal game. Um, and then they followed up by, you know, racking up 600 yards. And I, while I'm sure that Notre Dame is much better than Arizona, that that's quite a sea change. Cal must have changed something in the positive direction. And certainly, you know, line play was significantly improved in all facets. Um, I, I'm curious to see what how the line holds up against an opponent that's not as good as Notre Dame, I think, but certainly better than Arizona and in Washington state. Um, similarly, like I'm trying to scout Washington state and I'm like, okay, like 13 combined sacks versus Colorado state and Idaho, one combined sack versus Oregon and Wisconsin. Cal is neither as bad as those first two teams, nor as good as those latter two teams. So I think both teams are sort of going to learn about how the pass rush and the offensive line pair up against more median opponents, I guess. Yeah, I think that'd be a fair assessment there. Um, we've talked about it plenty over the years, but, you know, again, Justin Wilcox is a defensive coach, and I, I think the thing I know about him, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but it, it's basically that there is nobody out there who's not going to know their assignment, and this team is going to tackle really, really well. Is that still the case this year? Because, I, you know, again, you look at this stat sheet, and that doesn't always tell the greatest story about the defense, but, again, it's, it's a team that – you're going, you know, you, you need to take your points when you can get them against them because they are still incredibly difficult to score against. For the most part, um, the secondary and the middle linebackers that Cal will send out are very solid. Um, they're not going to make many mistakes, um, and they will punish mistakes. You know, like Cal is usually good for a few interceptions if the, uh, if, the quarterback misreads a coverage or is inaccurate at all. Um, the relative weakness of this year's defense, which is not atypical for a Wilcox team, is, is there a little light up front. In this, in certain years, that was just a lack of talent. This year, it's maybe more about um, injuries. Um, Cal's missing a number of guys on their uh, front, whether it's on the line or at edge rush. Mm -hmm. That um, and they've sort of taken a, a defensive line by committee approach. They just throw in guys out there 10, 20 snaps each, you know, hoping that somebody sticks that, that maybe the sheer volume of bodies will wear a line down. Mm -hmm. um, and they have been a little bit more successful later in the game. Um, but there's, there's opportunity for rushing the ball in chunks at a time because offensive lines tend to get push and there's opportunities for quarterbacks who are willing to sit in the pocket and be a little bit patient because the rush doesn't usually get there super quick. Yeah. So a lot of it might be like the extent to which um, 
is it Cam Ward is your new QB, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, um, the extent to which he can like make reads with a little bit of time and find his guys, or uh, you know, maybe trying to throw the ball a little too quickly because he's probably going to have some time. Mm-hmm. What's one name uh, to keep an eye on on that side? I know you mentioned uh, the secondary and your middle linebackers. Is there a name among that unit that Wazoo fans should be? Um, especially keying in on um, just to say, hey, this is a guy that maybe Cam Ward, uh, Nakia Watson, etc., should be a little bit worried about. Yeah, it, it's it's very much a, a defense of you know, like the sum is greater than or greater than the sum of its parts because yeah. like there's not necessarily a standout guy, but probably safeties Daniel Scott and Craig Woodson mm-hmm. are the two guys to watch. They tend to get most of the interceptions because maybe the cornerbacks are locked up one-on-one, but the safeties are maybe roving deep, um, coming up to break up a play. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the guys that, like, if a quarterback mm-hmm. makes a bad read, are probably going to be making a play. Cool. Uh, minus four to this i started that sentence so weirdly but wazoo favored by four points um initially that seems about right to me in terms of like where things should go do you have a prediction for saturday because i i that line opened at four four and a half and i was like yeah that seems about right in terms of a betting line it's funny if you'd asked me that eight days ago uh nine days ago whatever uh right after the notre dame game I would have said that Washington State would be a pretty heavy favorite because I saw what happened to Cal's offensive line. And I think well, I know Washington State has the talent and the defensive coaching to take advantage of that. And then Cal did what they did to Arizona, and it gave me just enough of like doubt to, to second-guess <laughs> myself. And it's like, okay, maybe, maybe we can hold up a little. Maybe we figure something out. I, I think I'm still leaning towards... Washington State having enough speed rushing around the edge, having enough on-the-line disruption that they're going to be able to score a little bit more than Cal will be able to, mm-hmm. especially after Cal looked a little vulnerable to Jaden Delora in Arizona giving up 400 yards. I think that Washington State can probably replicate enough of that through their passing game. But I'm not as confident about that as I was uh, prior to Saturday. It's a it's a fan base that is exactly I'm I, I can't even count how many times I've heard you know I thought this and then I thought that but I'm still not that sounds exactly like Wazoo fans so often Nick uh, Nick Kranz from Right for California our old friends who used to be California Golden Blogs before our mothership uh, so rudely showed them the door and you need to subscribe to RightForCalifornia.com I I subscribe uh, and enjoy reading it every day so Nick thank you very much I appreciate it. Yeah, always happy to have the chance to talk football.
Dunderhead of the week. Uh, I chose for some reason to go to the Seattle Mariners-Texas Rangers game on Tuesday night. I had tickets to the Sounders game. Actually, better that I didn't go to that. And the Kraken preseason game. The Mariners game is still probably the best choice. Um, the gentleman my friend and I were sitting next to was complaining very loudly about uh, with Carlos Santana up to the plate. And if you know Carlos Santana, he's a switch hitter. But in this particular case, he was batting left-handed. So the infielders were all shifted to the right side of the infield, except for the third baseman who's playing just a shade onto the you know third base side of second, which of course left that huge gap to the left side. Now, of course, the MLB is getting rid of the shift next year, um, so you can't do this anymore. And part of the reason they're doing that is because teams figured out that the best, the most effective way to win baseball games is to hit home runs. That's the best way to do it without costing yourselves out. And teams also figured out the best way to prevent it is to have your pitch throw really, 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 really hard. Because that prevents you from easily hitting the ball the other way or, say, bunting. And this person would not stop ranting and raving for three or four innings about how simple it is. And I could go up there and show them how to bunt down the third baseline. How to go the other way against 98 miles an hour. It's so simple. You just swing late and point the barrel that way. Sir, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if you could easily show them how the Mariners would have hired you a long time ago to be the hitting coach. Um, but accepting that it's extremely difficult to untrain someone how to do something. Uh, it's really hard to hit a 98 mile an hour fastball as it is. But then to manipulate it in any other way other than I'm going to try to hit it as hard as I freaking can in the direction I can hit it the hardest... Um, there's like a handful of guys who can do that in the league. And one of them hit his 61st home run tonight. Like, the, the, it, like it, it, the, the list is extremely short. And Carlos Santana is certainly not on it. I didn't know the guy's name, but guy who was complaining about that. My dunderhead of the week. I really wish Carlos Santana's music was license-free so I could play a little Oye Como Va after referencing Carlos Santana, the baseball player. Ask Michael anything. Waitman K. KC for now. Now that Cam's looking more like what we were hoping for, what do you think his chances of beating Halliday's record versus Cal? Follow-up question. Do you think he can do it in a win? Asking the last one for our DC and special teams coach. Uh, no, he's not going to throw for 700 and some odd yards against California. That's That's a nigh on impossible record to break and hopefully who was it It was eric russell special teams coach i'm not out of my memory in the specialty he got fired after that game though uh at connor john fort connor john fort of the current of the current uniforms who is the absolute worst fit in the pack 12 uh man what adidas has done to ucla's is god they're just so bland I actually think it's Arizona State's, if for no other reason than the lettering that Adidas has used on that is like the letters are all like really blown up and it really like it distracts me the attention like from the like UW somehow gotten away with not getting these like really horrible font on the letters on their jerseys 
And that that and ASU won't use the Sparky logo, which is which is a, a fantastic logo. They should use that all the time. Um, at Devin Lewis ninety nine, you can change the outcome of one Devin Lewis. You can change the outcome of one play in the history of WSU Cougar football. What is it, and why is it giving the ninety seven Cougs their two seconds back at the end of the Rose Bowl? That's the easy one, right? Like that's the easy call. Um, if I could change the outcome of one play, wow! Anthony Gordon's <laughs> strip sack at the end of the UCLA game comes to mind. Uh, yeah, I try not to answer. I'd like think of these ahead of time too much. Oh, a uh, Tyree Toomer not getting like spin cycled by poor DeAnthony Thomas. If for no other reason than just to directly benefit Tyree Toomer. So that's like the only thing he's not known for anymore. That might be a good one. I think just for him. Uh, at DC Coog, Connor Sands, four games in, what wins and losses do you predict remaining on the schedule? Um, I Again, you got to beat Cal this weekend. Um, Sanford, Arizona, Arizona State, you should at least win two or three, two or all of those. Um, but SC, Utah, I, those are just losses. Oregon State's going to be extremely tough. Um, and then the Apple Cup, I... You know me, I'm a fatalist about that. Even after last year. At Jeff White, Jeffrey White, what's a better spicy snack? Flamin' Hot Cheetos or Fuego Takis? Follow-up question, what is the go-to beverage to wash it down? What is a Taki? I don't know that. What I'm Now I'm typing this up to look... Fuego Takis. Oh, it's like a, oh, it's like a tortilla chip. I've never had those. I couldn't tell you. Mountain Dew's the best thing to wash those down with, though. If, they, if it's like a similar thing, I think it's Mountain Dew, probably. Um, at BD Giddens get get six, bring back our Sonics and Cameron Ward for Heisman. That's a long name. Looking back, what WSU faculty members and athletes had the greatest impact on you personally? How would the Fab Five have done with the Kugrade offense? And has WSU ever come close to offering women's fast pitches of varsity sport? Fab Five? You mean like the Michigan Fab Five? I don't know if there's a. If I'm missing a Fab Five in Wazoo history, my apologies. Um, man, faculty members and athletes. Um, on the faculty side, Roberta Kelly, uh, Marvin Marcello, Glenn Johnson, uh, anybody in the broadcast department really um, had a huge impact on me. Um, all my history professors were great as well. I liked all of them a lot. Um, no, we have never come close to offering uh, women's fast pitches of varsity sport, ever, to my knowledge. Uh, too expensive. And we don't, we, we barely, we don't, we don't have the money to cover everything right now as it is. So, um, to my knowledge, I don't think we, we've ever come close. Um, at Max Like Sports 1, Max Like Sports, how do you feel about Dicker compared to other first time head coaches? I can't think of anyone that compare him to also High Mark. Um, I, I, I mean, I think he's performing very admirably so far, and it's very clear his teams are very ready to play. And I think the other thing I've said is he, he, he didn't, like, go the route of, no, I'm smartest. He surrounded himself with a lot of people who know what they're doing. And he was willing to admit, like, hey, maybe I need a lot of help here. And he did that a lot. So, so far, he's been very impressive. At Green, 689 girl, Emily, will it get weird with Cal this year and how so? Uh, yes. And I have no idea. That's one of the things I said earlier. Like, that's the worst thing. It's like, I have no idea how it'll get weird. I don't like it being that unpredictable. At Schulte 10 Nick, what, what, what's your BS meter level for the Cal game, 1 through 10? I, it's always near a 10, man. <laughs> like, I just never know. Like, that's part of what frightens me so much about this game. Like, I just, I don't know what stupid crap is going to happen. 
Washington State 34, California 24. Late touchdown to make that margin for Wazoo. Closer than it should be for four and a half quarters, but I think Wazoo does enough uh, to get this one. We will see you next week before the fighting Vs, the V for victory, The hopefully the last time we ever got to play these dudes before they leave for good, before we play the Trojans at the Coliseum. We'll talk to you next week on the Cook Center Hour.